0: Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to the podcast, Father John, Father Nathan. We are, are back in the uh, podcast, do you hear that cracking? Is that just in my headphones? It's the cracking. It's in my head. No, it is. Yeah.
1: What's going on?
0: We uh, love the surprises from our favorite computer. We need to name this thing. Bane of my existence. Bane. Bane. Bane.
1: We shall call it Bane Cat.
0: <laughs> so, uh.
1: Do you think the darkness will hide you? Um. Turn off that light. Ah, it's the light. Maybe?
0: It is. Nope. no, nope. Still cracking.
1: A little Rice Krispies going on this morning.
0: Anyways, we are uh, happy to be with you, but it's a little, um, kind of melancholic this morning because this is our final session. As many of you know, we do, uh,
1: Final session.
0: We podcast in twos, so he goes, I go, and uh, so this is our final session um, together for a little while. Yep. So, just going to miss that mullet fro behind the behind you know, the pop guard. Black circle. That's right, the eyes rolling back in their head as I speak. The uh, uh, We sh- probably should begin with a um, word of gratitude for their patience. There's not been a podcast since May 29th. And uh, we're into the end of June here. The reason for that is I have been um, out of the country. I've been in Spain on the Camino. And um, Goebel's getting a good look at my feet here uh, because yeah. we, the way we face each other in this. And
1: Please make sure that those <laughs> large scraps of toe flesh don't end up <laughs> on
0: my chair. Yeah, I might just kind of hide them all over your house just as like Ooh, a fun surprise. First class relics. My trusty boots of... I don't know, several years, many 14ers climbed. For, at some point on the first day, totally gave way, and God smote me with a dozen blisters on the Camino. Anybody who's done the Camino knows uh, that it's, there's always something in store. You know? Yep. You're know, you not just going on a nice little walk in the woods, but um, that's what it was. And so the, the feet are recovering, and uh, we weren't able to podcast, but we're happy to be back with you today. We're also happy to say that what? we have the world's largest supply of Bum 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 Big League Chew watermelon flavor. Watermelon Big League Chew
1: started raining from the <laughs> skies about a week. Or, no, it was three days after uh, we published the last podcast.
0: It has been the biggest outpouring of love to Father Nathan's rectory. I think we're up to 60, 66, 60, I think it's 62 packages. 62 packages of watermelon, watermelon flavored, just watermelon just watermelon flavored big league chew yeah so Goble has not eaten anything except big league chew since exactly. may 29 well look at the calories on it man i get this is a this is a fat free diet right right i mean you know you got to get your calories each day do i get any, th- do, I get any ni- do i get any niacin through that <laughs> i'm not sure zero protein oh dang it zero sodium 2 carb 2 grams of carbs so yeah so uh thank you for that it's uh, actually kind of been a really funny and hilarious thing. So the first person, The first person
1: that came up to me, it was on Sunday after the podcast was published. This woman comes up, and she hands me this bag, and she says, I just went to Party City, and I happened to see this. Here you go. And I was like, that's so nice. I was like, what's your name? She says, Andrea. I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Thank you, Andrea. And then Monday morning, I was out of the office. I get there, there's a box, and I open it up, there's a box of Big League Chew. I was like, whoa, what have I begun? And then the next day, two more boxes showed up. Those are from my mom. Yes. So, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. Um, and then another package came in, and, you know, so then I've given them to, like, the office staff or whatever, and then some of them were like, is there any grape flavors? And I'm like,
0: No. We're going to build a, um, a bunker down below Goebbels house here in the crawl space. Exactly. It's like a apocalyptic storage, and it's just going to be Maker's Mark and bubble gum given to us by podcast listeners. Yeah. So, hopefully, so we'll,
1: hopefully some glycerin suppositories, because that doesn't sound like a good mix.
0: That's right. <laughs> so, so if we have to wait out the uh, apocalypse and then start fighting zombies, we will do it. With bourbon in hand and exactly. big, like, chew in our mouths. So you do get some pretty massive bubbles.
1: Um, I, I blew a bubble so big the other day it actually popped on the underside of my beard. <laughs> oh my and God. I had like green green scraps. That is absolutely disgusting. Okay. So here we go. I know. But I mean, like if I continue if I just keep the banter going, maybe he doesn't maybe you, like the banter. Maybe you
0: won't leave. I know, I know. Basta. Basta così.
1: Okay. So, a couple things, right? Uh, I did um, a three-part homily series the other day, the, while you were on the Camino, um, because the Archbishop's pastoral letter, Saints Among Us, came out. So, particular to the Archdiocese of Denver, the reordering of, or the restoration, I should say, the restoration of the orders, uh, order of the sacraments of initiation, namely, most people experience the sacraments of initiation, baptism... Eucharist, confirmation, and now we're going to baptism, confirmation, confirmation, Eucharist. And so I just preached on those, and one of the homilies I gave was on baptism, on Holy Trinity Sunday. It actually worked out quite well. So Pentecost was confirmation, Holy Trinity was baptism, and then Corpus Christi was the next week, so the Eucharist. Kind of out of order, but, you know, it made sense, right? right? Right. So I'm talking about baptism, and I'm saying, why is this so important? Well, it's necessary for salvation. I mean, the church teaches that, right? Yep. Necessary for salvation. Can you be saved if you're not baptized? What do you think?
0: Well, Thomas talks about baptism by desire. Yes. Baptism by fire. Uh, blood? Blood, that's what I meant. Yep. Still early, kind of. Okay, still early. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: Blood, desire, and then just regular baptism. Yeah. But then we also read in... Um, I think which which document was that? I can't remember. Was it? I don't think it was Dominus Jesus. but like the one where it said, I think it was Vatican II, Maybe I'm sorry, it's early for me too. But it's saying that it's not really early because they're hearing Maker's Mark. Sh- yeah, so. <laughs> in a way, in a way known only to the Lord. Uh, if they if they have goodwill and they're not you know Christian, they're not baptized. God is capable of saving anyone and can save those who pursue him with good will, good right. intention. Okay. Um, is it better to be baptized? Obviously. This is the means by which Jesus said, you know, like, unless one is born of water and the spirit, right. they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. Um, so, okay. We realize, does that mean that every person who is baptized is saved? No. No? Do we know that? We don't know. We don't know. Okay, I don't want to get into universal salvation here, but he leaves us somewhat open-ended. Right, right. right. He says... In I guess lo- what
0: I'm saying is, like, baptism is not this kind of magical thing that just oh, yeah. automatically set.
1: Oh, we gonna get to that. Oh, we gonna get to that, bro. I am, I am... I was... I haven't gotten this sort of, like, trembling angry in, in quite a while. Since yesterday. Since yesterday, and I was at the Peerless Tires, so I'm so sorry to the guy that I was rather rude too. So that's a different podcast. So, okay. So it, baptism is important, necessary for salvation, but just because one is baptized, it doesn't mean that they're... Okay. Right. The other thing that I was saying in that homily was that who is the minister of baptism? The proper minister of baptism is the bishop, priest, or deacon, the ones that are given sort of the ordinary ministry of sanctification. And therefore, they can, you know, perform these baptisms. But if you can't find a bishop, priest, or a deacon, say you're in the Amazon, and somebody needs to be baptized, they have these things called catechists, and they do baptisms. Right. Okay? Why? Because baptism is so important that we wouldn't want to say, if there is no priest or bishop around, you can't be, you won't be saved. Right? So can a normal Christian baptize? Yes. Can a Jew baptize? Yes. Yes if they intend to do what the Church is intending by baptism. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a Muslim can, a person with no faith can, okay? With no religious affiliation at all, they can baptize. Why? Because we think baptism is so important that that in emergencies, and this is the part that was missed, in emergencies um, or in extraordinary circumstances, namely like, you know, it's the zombie apocalypse, or like you're in the bush of Africa and the priest is being hunted by uh, whoever, Boko Haram or something like that. And you have a child who's, you know, young and you're afraid and it's not, the child's not baptized, a person can baptize. Okay. That all being said, did I ever say in that, and you get to, I'm so mad. Get going. Did I ever say in that that grandma grandma Joe Joanne can baptize her grandkid in the bathtub? I don't
0: think you said that.
1: I don't think I said that. Is that a good idea?
0: It's not a good idea.
1: Are you saying that because I'm upset?
0: No, I'm scared right
1: now. Yeah, you freaking should be. So, okay, so then these good-intentioned elderly women who i believe have faith and are worried for the salvation of their grandkids, their kids, their nieces and nephews whatever. When they go over to grandma's house and and she knows that her children do not have faith and you know they and they're not going to baptize her children, she baptizes them. Right. Or he, I mean I don't mean to get 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 angry at all the grandmas out here. There are probably men that are doing the exact same thing. I would
0: count my grandmother as one of them. Did you ever hear the story about we were down in, my Uncle Gus had uh, twin babies, twin baby girls. This is probably, they're probably like five now. But um, when they were like real little, it was kind of uncertain whether they were going to get baptized. And we were on a family vacation in Florida. Uh And Mimi looks at me and says, all right, you grab Riley. I'll grab Landry. We're going to go down to the ocean tonight. And I was like, excuse me? she goes, we're going to baptize him in the ocean tonight.
1: We already bap- Were you already a priest?
0: No. Oh. And I was like, uh, I don't think we're going to do that. Oh. And she was like, no, we're going to do it. And I was like, I don't think we're going to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you got to understand, my stubbornness comes from my mother's stubbornness, which comes from her mother's stubbornness. Yeah. So it was like a f- battle of wills. Did she do it? No. And he ended up getting them baptized at All okay. Saints in Lakeville a couple nice. months later. Okay. But it was just that kind of crazy... So part of that generation is like, yeah. it they, they really believe, they really believe in baptism in the power of baptism yes. and the necessity of salvation of baptism. Yes. Unlike, frankly, the generations that followed, which are kind of like, welcome to our Catholic family, it's yes. so great now you're a member of the club, pay your dues, and uh, go to right. mass on Christmas, and uh, everybody goes to heaven, so it's not a big deal, right? So as much as they're faulty in their practice i think that they they actually believe in the necessity it just gets a little crazy
1: yes and i commend them for that i do commend them for it and i and i had to say today it was after mass i said are those kids actually baptized okay so um you know a kid is an infant grandma intends to impart baptism and does the trinitarian formula and water is that child actually baptized yes I, I mean i didn't i I didn't research canon law and I didn't inquire into you know the diocese, but I have to think yes, right? I think it would be illicit but it but valid, okay, so then, uh say you have somebody who is sort of running away from the church, like literally, they don't want to be baptized, and somebody chases them down and tackles them and just starts pouring water on their head. You know, and they're they're old enough to know what's going on. I don't want to be baptized. I don't want to be baptized. And they say, "I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." Are they
0: baptized? Well, that's interesting. I think the question then becomes: What's the relationship of the will and freedom, uh-huh. and the sacrament of baptism, mm-hmm. the power of the sacrament? Yeah,
1: that I, that's no. Yeah. I mean that. I mean, I actually know that. That's yeah. no. You can't baptize somebody against their will. You sounded like you're from Chicago. There, you can't baptize. You
0: can't baptize them he hates that. Sorry. Uh, You're from southern Illinois. I don't, I'm sorry. We're not going to fight. No, I just
1: can't just, I can't I don't understand this. It's just like Okay, they're baptizing they're baptizing their kids, but then what happens when that later the parents have a change of heart and then they get the child baptized, right. you know? Or what happens if the child grows up all of his life or her life not knowing that they're baptized already or like they are baptized but they don't know and therefore like you can't hold them accountable for the for the some some of the sins that they're committing because they don't even know.
0: Yeah. No, it's a mess. The state the state of this is really is really a mess because we're living it's in a, a time of um It's a mess. It's a mess. We're living in a time of just pure sacramentalization without evangelization and it's been that way for decades now. Yeah. So it's just this kind of ritual formality, everybody gets dressed up, um and uh takes photos and it's great, but it just it has nothing to do with life and you kind of move forward with it, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, our friend Father Keith Kenny is quick to point out in the baptismal rite, you are swearing an oath as a parent. Yeah. Do you promise to are you resolved to uh like train this child in the practice, in the full practice of the Christian faith? We are. Right. Yes. Whatever they're supposed to say. I do. I do. And uh, they're swearing an oath before God, yeah. and and if they don't do that, like, congratulations, your child has a baptismal certificate, but will never know the full reality of the Christian life. Be very I, careful.
0: One of the interesting things that I found in, in baptism, at least in kind of the, the canon law side of it, is that everything is really on the godparents. Yes. It's really not on the parents. Yes. Um, It's important for parents. They're the first educators in the faith. Mm -hmm. We talk about that in the ritual, but um, the godparents are the ones that... I mean, if you've ever been a godparent, and it's a church that's actually doing what they're supposed to, it's a pain in the butt. You gotta get your baptism certificate, you gotta get your confirmation certificate, you gotta prove that you're married in the church. Why all this stuff? Because... You gotta
1: show that you're practicing. practicing.
0: Why? Because you are the one who's taking on the faith for the child. And you have to be a Catholic in good standing who's practicing. And I've been to so many of them where it's just like, well, I want my little brother Jimmy, you know? Well, what is Jimmy's deal? Well, he, he's not exactly Catholic anymore, and he works at a marijuana recreational shop down the street. And it's yeah. just like, good. Is this really like the best, kind of the best thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's where we're at.
1: So this is all sort of uh, intersecting as well, because um, I... I remember, there's two lines that I've read lately, recently, uh, from Balthazar on infant baptism, and I'm not, I don't know the mind of Balthazar, but he seemed to have some reservations about um, not, not whether or not we can do infant baptism, or whether or not we should do infant baptism, but rather saying, having infant baptism... Is, um, is a huge responsibility and a and a kind of a seismic shift in what it means to be um, a fully initiated Christian right okay so let's just I'll just read those two those two lines so doo-doo-doo. what is this from uh, it is from um, glory of the Lord volume one okay um, and then the second one the second quote is from who is a Christian? Um, So, Volume 1 is around 400 pages. Who is a Christian is around 150 pages. Nice. Um, So, he says this. Um, Mm -hmm. From this, it is clear that the baptism of infants is inadequate as a model for the sacramental event. To say that the entrance into God's kingdom occurs unconsciously, that is, in such a way that the subject involved neither perceives nor understands Christ's gesture, is a fact so conspicuously alien to Scripture and to the baptismal practice of the Old Testament and of John that it must without question be regarded as an exception. The decision for infant baptism was perhaps the most portentous decision in the entire history of the Church, and that long before Constantine. This is so not only because infant baptism obscures the normal image of the personal encounter with Christ and a decision for Christ that takes place in every sacrament, but also because all Christian existence is henceforth grounded upon a fact which is quasi-natural because it is not initially ratified by the subject. Okay. The, the line in there that strikes, strikes out for me is the, the, the decision for infant baptism was perhaps the most, I don't even know if I'm saying the right, portentous decision. I mean, this was, like, going in this direction was um, discerned and, you know, realized that, you know... We have the capacity to do this, and we're gonna we're gonna move in this direction. But the ramifications of that, um, well, now we're kind of ending up with no Christian culture, no Christian families, and yet still in adherence to the need for baptism. Yeah. What he's saying there is not that infant baptism is so wrong. It's that that when you have an adult, they can make the election to say, "I'm gonna wholly put my life into Christ." And having done that, they understand, um, I've already died and my life is hidden with Christ, Mm -hmm. okay? You can't undo baptism. You can't go back into the records and say, I'm no longer baptized. But when you make that decision for that child, you're making a a huge responsibility, not just saying, like, I made a big decision for my child. Listen, lady, you circumcise your child, you're going to make a big decision for him, but it's better, A.K.A. Talk to Father Chris or Dr. Father Chris Lebsock, who says it is good to circumcise your kids. All emails should be directed to Lebsock <laughs> at helena.edu or something like that. Anyways, you make decisions for your children all the time. The decision to give your child the opportunity for eternal life is a powerful and wonderful grace that parents have the ability to do. But if you take on that responsibility, you are taking on that responsibility. It doesn't mean like, oh, we did this, and oh, isn't that so great? Now we don't have to do anything. Right. Thank God Billy's saved. Billy is not saved. He is baptized, and he has the opportunity for eternal life, but it doesn't mean that he will automatically receive eternal life. Do I believe that those who are baptized into Christ will be received into eternal life? Yes, uh, but in a way known only to God. But I I, I don't know if that it's automatic,
0: Yeah. you know? I remember reading that by Balthazar and being shocked. I was just like, oh, yeah. Whoa. I mean, it was like he, he really um, goes at it in a way. And it, it kind of was like, I was a little scandalized by it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a little intense. But being in the parish and seeing it and understanding what he's talking about, it, it really does make sense. The removal of the, the will of the subject and kind of placing that in another not that it's not valid not that this didn't happen providentially but just to see the consequences of it in an era, in a kind of a post-christian age now it's horrible yeah i mean it's it's really painful to do these baptisms yeah. where these godparents are just kind of like whatever you know this doesn't particularly matter yeah. this doesn't matter just doesn't d- demand any change of my life anything and it's just this kind of endless cycle of non-practicing people Standing up there and taking an oath that they will form them in the faith, and then them not doing it, and then they become godparents, and it's just like, Well, and
1: then, I mean, like, I'm thankful that they're there, and I believe that God can work through them. He is imparting his own very life to them, so obviously, even if the parents or godparents don't have faith, they've been given faith and can find their way, but it's also like, it'll be pretty hard and rare if somebody does that on their own. Yeah. I just want to read the quote that's immediately following this. He says, the subsequent ratification of this fact at the age of discretion, meaning like if you baptize this child and then, you know, like later on, it's like, but you have to take a hold of your faith. The subsequent ratification of this fact at the age of discretion always has something dubious and not quite plausible about it since no decision whatever can now undone, undo what has been done. No decision whatever can now undo what has been done. They may say at seven or eight, like, I'm happy to be a Catholic. Okay, great. You know, like, that's good. You are a Catholic. Like it or not, you are a Catholic. You can go to another place. You can go and, you know, like, say, I'm just not going to practice. You are a baptized Catholic. And even if you're living a life that's, you know, incoherent with that reality, you're still a baptized Catholic. So the parents have to do the duty of forming them in such a way that says, having received this kind of privilege, this is our responsibility. Mm-hmm. This is the next quote, okay? Um, bup, bup, uh, this is from, uh, who is a Christian? Let us not shrink from naming the most questionable of these, one that is at the same time the most profoundly rooted of these structures, as decision made early, with unforeseeable consequences, undoubtedly defensible, but not the only possible solution. Since the Christian advantage of the alternative solutions would also be indisputable, assuming one were prepared to accept grave, indeed the gravest of sacrifices and losses, I refer to infant baptism. The preempting of the proud, once-in-a-lifetime decision for God on behalf of one still in a state of unawareness, the awakening to the use of reason, and the capacity to make choices only to find oneself faced with an already accomplished fact that one must either ratify or not, what a problem this is. Mm. Which I think is beautiful because it to me that says, man, look at those people who are standing up there at RCIA and saying at the age of 30, 40, 50, 70, 80, I'm gonna be a Christian and I fully understand what this means. Yeah. I mean, that's the last question we ask the parents. Do you do you do you do you fully understand what you're asking? We do. Do you fully No, do you fully understand what you are undertaking? We do. And I always want to say, bull. <laughs> you don't. Anytime you have sex, you have no idea what you are undertaking because that means that there's a possible life generated from this, which means that that life has a soul, which means as his mother and father, you have a responsibility to educate that child, and hopefully not just, like, get it power wheels and rumble buddies, but rather <laughs> give him the opportunity for eternal life. And if you baptize that child as an infant, then you have to, you know, you have this, you've undertaken this responsibility. Absolutely. All that being said, preach it, fi- preach final it quote, final preach quote. It. This is from Balthazar. Okay, I mean, I don't think he's incoherent, I just think that he's he's sort of uh, revolving around the issue and looking at it from different vantage point. This is this is the last quote. I'm sorry if this is annoying to you. It's not. this. Well, not to you, oh. though, to the people. Um, uh, this is from in, Unless You Become Like This Child, which is only about 60 pages. So if you want to read a Balthazar book and have good dinner party conversations, um, then that one. Okay. He says, uh, The church does not dispense the sacrament of baptism in order to acquire for herself an increase in membership, but in order to consecrate a human being to God and to communicate to that person the divine gift of birth from God. Going on in a later page. It would be unjust toward children to introduce them to Christian teaching and existence only as little pagans and catechumens in order to leave it up to them, to choose the faith on their own responsibility at a point in time difficult to determine. Right, you are a Christian family. I mean, uh, that's kind of what the bishop wrote in his wrote in his uh, pastoral letter. Families become what you are, which is you are a little church, and you're giving birth to little Christians. So fulfill the duty of your office as mother and father. Man und Vibe, Vibe und man. <laughs> Reach to the heights of godliness. Is that Mozart? Yeah. Well done. Anyways, I, so, okay, but going back again, what does it mean to have Grandma, you know, Alba baptize her grandkids in the bathtub without the parents' consent? It means that, in some sense, she's taking on the responsibility, but she's not. She's just performing a magic ritual and saying, I did it. Like it or not, I did it. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. But it's wonderful because God's life was imparted to them, but it has to be drawn out. Yeah. You know, No one would say that you can just have as many kids as you want um, and then just leave them to die. You have to bring them up. You have, to, you have to feed them and clothe them. It's the same thing for the spiritual life. You have to feed them and clothe them and um, heal them. You know, as you would, their body, you also have to do their soul. Yeah. so
0: um, I was thinking about a quote that I read from Ratzinger recently, "Just throw the pages. Yeah, just throw them on the ground. And you are angsty today. <sighs> <laughs> I must have gotten somebody's cycle because I am just like... <laughs> <laughs> he got a nickname Yenta, for those of you who know. I did. From Sunit. She calls you Yenta. Maybe maybe behind your back. Sorry what is about that. that. I Jewish probably... mother? Yenta is the woman in the village in um um tradition. Tradition. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Yenta is the one just matchmaker, kind of matchmaker, matchmaker, exactly. match me a match. So when you get into your kind of crazy global Jewish phase, <sighs> which we're kind of kind of moving into right now. Yeah. Yenta.
1: Um That's better than the nickname that that Dr. Barstad gave me yesterday, which was
0: Chachone. Chachone. Chubby simo, you're not ch- chubby. Chub. You're not that. Ch-
1: okay, go on.
0: You're husky. I've been doing. Right? husky. <laughs>
1: I've been doing a lot of
0: talking. So the uh, we're talking. The this is kind of tangential, but um, Ratzinger had, takes on the question. I read recently in a book called Pilgrim Fellowship of Faith. He takes on the question of why do the parents of practicing Catholic or why do the children of practicing Catholic families lose their faith? Hmm. Which is a huge question. Yeah. And probably one that a lot of people who are listening to this are saying, well, what's he going to say? You know, Ratzinger... That's all the time
1: we have, folks.
0: <laughs> thanks again. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Yeah. The, um, he says there's one aspect of it, which is this. So this is not the whole thing. But he says, it is possible for good Catholic parents to do all of the right Catholic things, get them baptized, get them confirmed, get their Eucharist, go to Mass on Sundays, maybe even pray the rosary together, but never actually share what he says, share the, the deep things of the soul. Yeah. And I was, my dad and I went on a walk on Father's Day and we were talking about this because I think that my nephew, uh, soon to be nephews, and uh, my niece, I just think they're gonna be raised differently by my siblings than than I was. And it's not to say my parents were bad or something, but kind of, we didn't, we didn't know this, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between doing Catholic things and actually sharing into the deep earth things of the soul. And when I think about the work of education, which is... We were talking about this last night around the fire with Father Nick Blaha. The work of procreation is not just to generate, but it's to educate. And it's the same thing in the spiritual life. So you generate a child of God in baptism. That's the first part of your job. Mm -hmm. Then the work of education... Which is not just sign them up for freaking RCIA classes, which are a waste of time. Religi- of time. Religious ed classes. That's what I meant. CCD. RCIA yeah. is great, sorry. Religious ed, so much of it, even at good parishes, even with good people who are trying to do a good job, these kids get into that mentality of, I gotta go to class, and then I leave class. It's so bad. Yeah. Catholic schools. and the parents we, And the we, parents don't participate in it. They're just the...
1: They're just a vehicle, like, taking them to soccer practice. Yeah. Here, I drop you off, Yeah. and then at some point, you don't have to do this anymore.
0: Yeah, we go crazy over this stuff, because it's like, you think you're doing good, and you're actually doing more damage, because I drop them off at their Catholic school, they get their Catholic formation, I pay the bill, you know, hey, come on, Father, what's the problem here? And it's like, but you're not sharing the things of the soul with your child. Yeah. And that, I think, is the work of education. And that has to be the progressive unfolding as you were talking about it, I was I was thinking about um, two different baptisms came to mind. Um, the first was James Patrick Cure, our little friend. Wonderful, who is uh, who has called me one of his best friends recently. I don't know if you knew that. So he's he was asked who are your best friends and he said Carly and Father John, and I was like, I that was probably like the best wow. thing I ever heard. So, so he, yeah, he
1: made a comment about my beard the other day, but Maggie told me, but I forgot it now. So yeah,
0: he looked at a picture of somebody. Like a big white beard. What was that? Was it a picture called it you? It was
1: a picture of God or something, right? (laughs) With a big white beard, and he said, And he's
0: yeah, it was like in a little children's book, and he goes, Father Nathan. Um but when he was baptized Harumph. The loon.
1: High noon in uh, Lunton. I might might
0: steal that and just take it with me. So his baptism, which was back at St. Tom's, when I when it happened, I was You just had this... It was a very beautiful moment. It was uh, one of my first baptisms. It was a family, Maggie and Dex, who I preached their wedding, and I had this kind of full confidence of like, this is the beginning of something. This is not the completion of something. Yeah. So there are amazing experiences that we have of priests, of baptizing children when we have that full confidence that this is the real deal, and they're going to be trained. And frankly, James Patrick has been to more daily masses in the first two years of his life than I think I did for the first... Until I went to seminary. Yeah. So he, it's the real deal. Contrast that with um, Jessica Grady, Joe oh, Grady. I uh, love her. Yeah, Joe Grady's sister-in-law, Pat's wife, She's who wonderful. was baptized at Queen of Peace. She was in my first year of RCA, mm-hmm. and she was just bawling um, during the baptism. And I, watching that and being right there, uh, it was like one of the most beautiful things because Jessica had uh, knew what she was doing. She had made serious sacrifices. She had struggled with the things of her own heart. So, the things of the faith for months leading up to it. Mm-hmm. And it was definitive, and she and she experienced something that was profound and life changing. And that could never, what she experienced in that moment, that could never happen for an infant, obviously. Different. And different. The so, I, I just, re- so I just look at these two things yeah. and I say, these are both good. Yep. And I think that's what both of us are saying in those different yes. quotes.
1: They're both objectively accomplishing the same thing. But one, the subject is engaged. Right. And the other one, the two subjects are the parents. They're the subject. I mean, the, the person that's getting baptized is obviously like a subject as well. Right. But rather like the, the experience is one that's remembered by the parents. Okay. I was thinking about this last night around the fire. Um, so it's good that you, you kind of return back to that. In marriage, you have the unitive and the procreative dimensions of kind of the, the sexual act. That it not only brings the two couples together, but in the bringing them together, it also gives new life. It doesn't mean that every single time it has to, um, but those two dimensions must be there um, in order for it to be a complete marital act. Okay? That being said, I think that's also... And the word that I'm thinking of is echoed in the child, That the unitive and procreative dimensions by the two couples coming together, there's actually this generation of life. That is echoed in the procreative dimension of the child having received this life is actually brought into the new life of heaven through baptism. You can have the procreative dimension but the unitive dimension is that education mm. because education is leading one into union with the good the true and the beautiful that one has already received life yes giving life is wonderful but giving eternal life and training one in a in a life that's going to lend itself towards the reception of eternal life mm-hmm. is better yeah you know wow so then the parents actually like they They have this opportunity to to have a a richer completion of their of their union in heaven, right. which is that their child is now I mean once you give birth to a child, it's like, I have a responsibility here, but the union of a family in Christ, it's like this is the greatest thing ever yeah
0: so that's a pretty sweet point i uh I'm very impressed so yes, you did so good. Thank you. Big league chew. So you go from the unitive to the procreative in the generative act, and then in the educative act, you go from procreative to the unitive. You see, the child's life is moving from that procreative, the fruitfulness, back to union, Mm -hmm. which is of the soul. Yeah. Mic drop.
1: Yeah, that's right. We should just do a mic drop. Well done. Okay, good. So, I mean, I like that point, because what you're saying is, both are good. We're not saying... I'm not saying on this podcast, don't baptize your babies. But I am saying to the grandmas and the aunts and the uncles and the grandpas and the friends and whoever else, if you're baptizing without permission, uh, uh, remember what I used to say to you in Mexico? Cuídense. 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 Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Okay. I heard that a lot. Shake it bad. you got? Watch yourself.
0: Get okay, on, get couple. on the, get on the floor. Get on the floor. <laughs> Anyways, um, shout outs. Shout out. Deacon Chris Lebsock is about to become bum, bum, father. Bum. Chris Lebsock. and he is a faithful listener. In, in a couple days, I'm very excited for him. So close, no matter how far. That's right. And Father Nick Blaha staying Couldn't with us right be now.
1: Much more from the heart. <laughs>
0: Forever, trust in who we are. Do you want to say anything to Father
1: Nick? He's a big Metallica fan. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, overshadowed by my awesome Metallica reference was the fact that Father Nick Blaha um, from Emporia State and the Diddy Catholic Center um, and uh, famous from the Call Waiting podcast is staying in the basement right now, but he's at school. He had to go to school. He had today. to go to school
0: today. Yeah. We kept him up till 2 a.m. two nights yeah. ago, and then he had to go to school all day. It's <laughs> 6 a.m. He had to leave at 6. So, so that's it tonight catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.